Hi, hello, I'm Janet J.M. Huxley with Color Speak. Thanks for joining us today. Today, my guest is Margaret Wasik. Did I say that right? I did say that right, Margaret. Perfect. And I am beyond thrilled to have her with us because today somebody is going to tune in that absolutely needs to hear what she has to say. In fact, what she has to say could change your life. I am so happy and I feel actually so loved by our God that he led me to Margaret because she is just spreading beauty and joy in the world and she's doing it through music. And I think many of us don't even understand the ability that we have to gain healing and joy and knowledge through music. And I am I am I've wrote, I've written down her bio. I don't have a teleprompter, so bear with me. I just want to look down here at my notes and let me tell you they are not comprehensive. So she starts out by saying great music is a magnetic highway. We don't enter it to go somewhere bodily but to take a journey of the soul. Margaret is her background is legendary. She studied with legendary teachers at New York University and supplemented her studies in composition at Juilliard. Her original compositions were featured in the film, The Lesson. She made her solo debut at Carnegie Hall in 2000. And from there, her accomplishments are actually too numerous to mention here. I was blown away. She's passionate about creating innovative programs that introduce new audiences to classical music and the powers of classical music, she writes. She has something called Golden Tone Workshops, which we're going to get to. And she talks about the seven seven sacred tones, Heaven's Melody, which is um, her goal is a revival of King David's method of work worship. Now, if that isn't tantalizing, <laughs> I don't know what it is. So welcome, Margaret. It is such an honor to have you with us. Thank you so much, Janet. What a thrill to be here. Uh, Such a blessing to meet you and such a blessing to be able to share with your community. I'm, I'm so honored. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. So what did I miss? I know that, boy, we could take the next hour talking about all that you've accomplished. But before we get into the specifics of your of what you're doing for us these days, Tell us about your family life. Do you have children? Um, All of the things. Oh, sure. Thank you, Janet. Yes, I have two children. They're grown up. One is 22 and working um, in a law firm in New York City right now in their HR department. And my younger one is junior year in college studying meteorology. I live in New Jersey with my husband, Mark, who, when I met him, I always joke he had the trifecta. He was um, a German atheist (laughs) scientist. But by the time, like, we were like a few years into the marriage, um, you know, we both became born again Christians. And uh, it was just a wonderful thing. to have a partner that we can um, express our faith and 
We also have a dog, a schnauzer named Coco, and a Aww. cat named Gypsy. So, like, we have a full house, even though we're empty nesters. <laughs> so. Oh, that is so sweet. I swooned a little because my first dog's name was Coco. Oh, and my God. I've had a lot since her, but <laughs> I, I've often thought if I get another dog, I'd like to maybe call her Coco. I just, oh, it's, it's a. <laughs> yeah, Coco is, um, you know, I had Coco Chanel in mind when uh, we were picking out the name and I, you know, I love it. she's she's more like Coco, uh, I'm dirty and I'm, you know, just yeah. going to scrape around looking for, you know, bones in the middle of the mud. So she's a little bit <laughs> not as glamorous as the name suggests, but a great dog nonetheless. <laughs> well, I live on a farm, so there's no glamour in our dogs yeah, yeah. here. You know, it, it is what it is. And but I do like, you know, I was thinking cocoa chocolate, but I do like that other idea because my favorite fragrance is um, by Chanel and it is uh Autandre. It's pink. Oh, that's a different one. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It doesn't feel like something that was dredged up from the Steamboat Arabia. So I say that <laughs> tongue in cheek. The Steamboat Arabia is an old steamer that was found embedded in the Missouri River here just outside of Kansas City or in I think it's in actually in Kansas City proper and they found vials of perfume that were 150 years old and pickles oh. too. And they and one of the guys ate him. <laughs> one of the guys that was <laughs> in charge of the dig or own the dig or whatever. Anyway, I always kiddingly think about my grandmother's Estee Lauder and oh, yes. how powerful that was. Oh, and, the fragrance. Yeah. 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 So anyway. The fragrance is everything. It's funny that you say this because um, last year we went to Paris and one of the absolute stops that I had to make was a little atelier where they recreate historical fragrances. And they were able to find a little vial that um, Chopin, the great composer, uh, he had, um, his girlfriend was George Sand. That was her pen name because at that Mm -hmm. time, you're a writer. But imagine, you know, it's like 1830. You can't really, as a woman, you know, so she took on the pseudonym George Sand. And so she was uh, the mo- such an expressive writer. And so they would walk these gardens together. She was so um, entranced by fragrance all the time. And so she had collected all her favorite scents and she wore them on a little vial, which was discovered by one of her great, great grandchildren and they recreated it. And so I was able to buy it. And take it home and I wear it every day. And it's so wonderful just to have that fragrance. Like you say, like, you know, somehow through all these, you know, like over a century is still like bonds us. There's nothing quite as fragrance to bring you back to that memory, sound and fragrance. It's like the same kind of wavelengths that just get our hearts, those emotions right away. I agree. It transcends time because I, I have not only my grandmother's fragrances uh, and a vial that belonged to my great grandmother, but a, one of those little boxes with a cameo on it, and it still oh, has a scent in it. And that is lovely. It, it kind of reminds me of my own daughter, Emily. Now she's all about essential oil and she carries a variety with her all of the time. She's got her essential oils in her car and on her person at all times. Oh, it's powerful. Isn't that lovely? Yeah, I, I think oh, it's wow. great. Isn't that funny that we. We ended off in the fragrant weeds on this, but 
I agree. This is awesome. I love the scripture with um, the word fragrance um, in it. Um, How does, how does the beginning go? Um, Praise be to God who leads me in triumph and through me spreads and makes evident the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. You know, and I love how fragrance is just wafting through. It's uh, it's not something concrete and hard and like, you know, left-brained. It's just ooh, yes. the flow, the scent, the beauty, the essence of the Holy yes. Spirit. That's to be celebrated. How lovely. Yes. Yes. Well, and... I just think about some of those authors who have written about experiences where the veil thins. Mm-hmm. Reggie Anderson is one that comes to mind. He wrote a book called um, Appointments with Heaven. And he's a physician down in Nashville, in that area, in Tennessee anyway. And he writes about what it's like when he sees pass- the passing of patients who who follow Jesus. And when the veil thins, there are, are scents of citrus and lavender. You know, just when you imagine... The greatest for me, I, I imagine honeysuckle, Ooh, and one of my favorite scents. Those okay. kinds of scents, yeah. and uh, I've done some work writing about this. As I mentioned, I'm sort of waiting on this project that has been completed for a couple of years now, waiting to see what will happen about it. But but it's I, I write about this. I just love it. I'm fascinated. So wow. it stands to reason we would bring fragrance in with music. I love music that. is. I got goosebumps just listening to that. Oh my gosh. I have it's, to look up this. Um, what is the name of that? But Reggie, oh, Reggie, his name is Reginald Anderson, and I can't remember whether she he writes under Reggie Anderson or Reginald Anderson. Okay. It's called Appointments with Heaven. I love it. Um, that's, and it's that's my next fascinating. Book. It's fascinating, but but here's what's equally fascinating. And let me just tell you this real fast. It's so funny. Uh, hopefully, all of this is edifying for people. But I, I had picked up the book. Uh, just on a whim, I think I found it at a bookstore and I was reading it. And my husband said, we he designs water parks for a living. So we were going to actually fly down to the Bahamas for one day. We had a Friday we were leaving. We were going to be in the Bahamas on Saturday so he could check out a project. And then we were flying back on Sunday. And I had this book and I couldn't stop reading it. So I was reading it on the plane on the way there. And then on Saturday, I'm in the hotel room and I'm reading the book and I can't put it down. And he's wow. waiting on me. And he says, you think you might want to step outside because we're only here for a day. <laughs> and I, said, I can't put this book down. So I finished it. And then he read it on the plane on the way home because oh he was like, goodness. it was that. Well, you can't oh, put it as soon as the plane landed, he was ordering books from Amazon, oh. you know, to be delivered because he felt like he really wanted to give them out to people. And so I've given those out to people to encourage them when people have passed away in their lives, because it is so profound. But here's the interesting thing I have to tell you. So halfway through it, I was thinking, well, this is really great for those who know Christ, but what happens when someone doesn't? And he addresses that too. And what that was like, wow. completely different. Room gets cold, smell of diesel and sulfur. Um, not good. Not good. It's just further testimony okay. of, I mean, he doesn't belabor that. That's just uh, pretty much from my recollection, it's been years since I've read the book, but I feel like it was maybe one isolated incident that he talked about. Wow. Most of it is celebrating what happens when you know Jesus, but people know Jesus. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's wild to me that oh, people choose not to. I've never heard anything like this information, you know, using those senses. I think, you know, 
this we have five senses we're so visually oriented most of the time right and uh i think like fragrance even i was reading an article about perfumers that's such a very very small industry like you have mm-hmm. the nose like you know if you have a great sense um of the craft then you are able to really like work in a very, very niche field, but very few people attain that. And I don't even think there are that many even jobs in that particular segment, but, but it it is something so special. And I like to I always think like we could shut our eyes, we can plug our nose and not smell. Um, We can shut our mouth and not taste. We can, hold our hands and, you know, clenched and not touch, but we could never shut off our ears. And the hearing is actually the first sense that is developed in utero, four months, and it's the last sense to leave us. So I think that's so interesting Mm. that um, the sense of hearing not only is the one that God made first and continued the longest through a human lifespan, but also that is mentioned many, many, many times in the Bible. Like I forgot the number, but it's more than even sight. It is about hearing, you know, and Shema, which is the Hebrew Hebrew word is um, hearing, but not just as a passive act. It means listen and obey. Like there's, it's an action verb. You do something with this. Don't just allow. And I think we live in a world where it's such a noisy world. We can't really shut it off. And the things that we can do are to be very intentional with what we let in. The ear is such a gateway uh, for the spirit. Um, yes. The way we're designed is mm-hmm. that the minute that things hit our ear, it becomes energy that the body uses. And it because we have the vagus nerve, which runs through our ear canal, and the vagus nerve controls everything from our digestion, our heart rate, breathing patterns, nervous system. So truly our fuel is not just food, but it's essentially sound. What we hear, the words we hear, the music we hear, it all becomes energy. And so it's, it's very, very powerful and interesting. Hmm. Thank you so much for that. And for bringing me back around to, from the sense to the hearing, because that's what we want to talk about today. <laughs> I can go, I can, I can go I on do. and on about fragrance too. It's a passion of mine. No, yeah, no, no, but, but it's so funny because I, I, first I was thinking, you know how you and I prayed before this and Holy Spirit is leading. So I was thinking, oh, he definitely wants us to touch on this, but okay, let's get back to the matter at hand. I want to know how, okay, so you you must have grown up with the, you know, some of us are just wired. I, I told you earlier, I don't, I really appreciate people who can do what you do because mm-hmm. I can't. Now, I know how music makes me feel. And sometimes even people like me, I think this is true of, when we hear music, it makes us feel like, we are the only one on the planet, the only mm-hmm. one that that truly understands what music does for us and who God is through music. I mean, there's something that's so 
supernatural to experience yes. it. That even those yes. of us who can't carry a tune and don't play an instrument, doesn't matter. Um, it, it resonates with us. Absolutely. So you must have, from a very early age, I mean, my goodness, you went to Juilliard and you've played at Carnegie Hall. I would think if anybody was an expert on music, this is you. And what you're speaking about is how music was designed by God to heal us. How did that first come about for you? Uh, it, it's a, it's very interesting. I was born uh, to Polish parents. And although neither of my parents played or, or were involved in classical music, my paternal grandmother was a pianist in Poland and she lived through the war. And so she always was a proponent for my piano playing. And so I was studying music from an early age and I was a very shy child and a very sensitive child. So if I would see anything that, um, you know, like once we were driving in a car and I saw, you know, the remnants of a car accident, well, I couldn't sleep for about two weeks after that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yes. That's me. I saw a dog hit by a car. Oh my gosh. I, yeah. Same. it's yeah. such a, and I, and I used to think like, is this normal? Like to be so hypersensitive to stuff. Yeah. It, it was very difficult to live like that in a way, because you never knew when something would affect you on a deep level. But I, I do think that that translated itself to a very um, strong sensitivity to music and sound, because that was another thing that I realized it wasn't just the visual, it was the sound of something that you know, could either disrupt your day and and bring you into a certain kind of trauma, mm-hmm. or it can do the opposite. It can lift you. It can take you out of the world and into another. And so when my first piano teacher gave me a recording of Chopin, she gave me one um, by a great pianist named Arthur Rubinstein. And my parents had one at home by Van Cliburn and I love them both, but there was the Rubenstein one just I, I really loved it more. And I couldn't tell why I did, but every time I listened to the music, I just felt like it it just it brought me to heaven. I, I, I don't know how to explain. I, I couldn't ex- understand how somebody could even conceive of these sounds coming together and making such harmonies and such stories with music and sound. It was really a treasure to me. Well, uh, you know, although I did end up uh, playing in Carnegie Hall, making my New York debut, it was not an easy road. Along that time, I I had um, to lose, I lost the ability to play. I was um, beaten down psychologically by a lot of teachers and being hypersensitive that really affected me deeply and things. And so I had to rebuild my technique. And along that path and journey, God showed me something called the golden tone technique, uh, which was connecting to music via tone. You know, tone, like people, we talk about tone of voice and tone of voice is everything, right? Because we can say something like, you know, uh, you know, I don't even know, like, 
how are you today? You know, and that tone is like, oh, you know, like, hey, we're going to be positive. Or you could be like, well, how are you today? You know, like, and then right away, it's different. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know what the best example of that is, is with your animals. Yes. Because yes. like sometimes I'll be on the phone with one of my kids and, and, you know, I'll react, well, you know, in fun, we're just kidding around, but the dog's ears will go up like oh, in, in, so an alarm, in an alarmed manner. But if you yeah. look at a dog and say, Oh, how you doing little sweetheart? Well, then all That's of a sudden different. they're wagging their tail and amazing. Great. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. You're so right. You're so right, Janet. It's the animals that are so pure and they understand tone and mm-hmm. even like my dog, um, so my dog was limping years ago. This is not Coco. This was another dog. We had Sonia named after um, Sonia from uh, from one of my favorite books, Crime and Punishment. Nice. <laughs> We're talking about classic literature. So Sonia, Sonia was limping and like the doctor said she would always limp and everything else. And um, this is after I started researching because I've always had an interest in, okay, tone, because tone was what rehabilitated me and got me playing piano again. And tone was what got me to the concert stages, connection with the essence of sound and beauty of sound, stripping it from all the, you know, speed and digital, like, blah, 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 and, you know, the pressure of classical music and just to that pure, like we're talking about essence of fragrance, the fragrance of a note. One mm-hmm. note you can play on the piano and it can be whole, such a such an experience because a note goes through a whole life cycle. You play one note and, it, you know, there's that preparation for the birth of this note. And what's it going to sound like? It's, a, it's such a, you internalize that. You, you make it an intention and then you have to release that intention. You know, Lord, what, what shall this be? You know, so it's a co-creative process. And then there's the creation of the note, the new birth, you know, and the note on the piano, unlike other instruments, other instruments like a violin, you can you can still maintain that note and you can increase the duration of that note. But with the piano, it's like a rose at full bloom. It's just going to start decaying mm. after that. So the sound starts to fade away. And so now you have to prepare yourself for listening through that decay. And if there's another note that's coming right after it, you have to now imagine, okay, so in that dovetailing, how do I want the next note to go into this note? So uh, for me, that rehabilitation was going away from the legalism of classical music. It has to be note perfect. It has to be fast. It has to be better than this or that per- performance. And that was really very, it was like a form of slavery, taking it away from there and going into the creative, that moment of of creation of a note, and it's a it's a healing um, process where you realize, okay, now we are playing music in cooperation with heaven, you know. And it's such a different feeling; it's such a different experience for audiences. It's a different thing um, because we're all in this together. This I, I just recently played a concert two weeks ago, and I I am always amazed what the Lord does in the sound realm. If you have sound and you marry it with intent, 
something quite amazing happens where you feel like you're almost breathing together. You're collectively having this experience of heaven together. And you could hear the size of people as like they're listening and they're living that note in you and through you. And really it's, it's in the Lord because the Lord is the conductor of all these things. So it's, it's a powerful, powerful thing. Tone is. Wow. So I don't think I've ever had anyone explain music to me that way. And I just am sitting here marveling at not only the talent that you have on the keyboard, but the talent that God has bestowed upon you to describe it in poetic wording. I mean, that was such a beautiful melody that you created with just words that had us all thinking about that note and visualizing it. And I think, I wish I had had a piano teacher that had explained music that way to me. As I shared with you earlier, I took music, I took piano lessons and quit. And I had a little choir experience, but I never really pursued music because I feel like my judgment regarding music was clouded by what was being pumped in through a certain frequency on the radio where I grew up in San Diego, which is, you know, fodder for another topic, a day of discussion and what that looked like. But I felt, I feel like we as a society have been deprived yes. of our God given yes. right and the, the beautiful gift that he has given us through music. And, and I think that's through no fault of our own necessarily. I think that we bear some responsibility, of course, not suggesting otherwise, but I do think that our society at large has been one to laud those things that are unbeneficial for us. Correct. And to be honest, I think that that's largely uh, intentional. I, I remember even just a year ago or so asking my chiropractor, I said, do you believe in frequencies and what do you think about it? And because he's very holistic and he said, well, there's no mistaken. There is a reason why there is a certain segment of the population that is prone to violence and drug usage and whatnot because of the music they listen to. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So circling back around to what you've just said, I just, it's just, it, I think we all need to really marinate in what you said. Because it does have the potential to be life-changing. It because is. Because I know when my kids were little, I had them listen to Mozart because I knew yes. Mozart was good for them. Yes. But I really understand all of it, it that you've just so beautifully put in a little. Oh, little Janet. Book. And you know what? You have such a discernment about this topic and a sensitivity to it. But if I may, there is something all of us can do. And tap into the power of sound right now, wherever we are. And that is uh, something that sometimes people call it toning. I really don't know. Um, it's, It's something really, really grounding. And it's a very simple thing we can all do because you're absolutely right. Um, the music realm has been hijacked. But if we think about it, who is the angel, um, uh, the fallen angel? Uh, yep. Satan is the angel of music. And, right. and so yeah. why? This is a contentious territory, music is. Sure it is. And so, of course, wouldn't it make sense to fill the airwaves with 
fear, mm. anger, and very low level frequencies mm. and chaos, like the Tower of Babel. God teaches us in that the power of frequency. If we if we make it chaotic, we are behaving in a chaotic fashion. You know, we have all this stuff going on, like. 5G and we have like things around us, invisible waves that are constantly bombarding us, not to mention sound and all sorts of things. But how can we ground? How can we tap in to our frequency? Because all of us have a frequency. I think every day our frequency is different. Where is the Lord tuning us? Because the Lord is the conductor And we are the strings. We are the strings. The Lord is the tuner and we're the strings. So here's a simple practice that I do every day. And I find the shower to be a great place to do this just because it's echoey and there's water, which acts as a conductor for this energy. But it's very simple. And in your prayer time, in connecting with the Lord, you ask Simply ask for the tone, the sound, Lord, what sound shall I echo that is the sound in your heart for me? Hmm, And you let it come and you let it well up. And whatever that is, you just sing it. It could just be say, whatever, you know, it is. So like, for instance, Lord, what is the sound, Lord, in your heart for me today? And I'll take a deep breath. And I'm not a singer. So, um, you know, whatever comes out is just like truly just from the inside. And as you sing it, you direct that energy to any place that you might be feeling maybe like you're, you're upset about something. So direct it to that place in your heart. Maybe you're not feeling... 100% directed to that place in your body. Perhaps you've got something big going on that day, an important meeting or an interview or something directed to that. The thing is, even Einstein said that match the thing you want with the frequency and you cannot help but have it. Even Einstein through physics understood the principles, but how much more can we understand through the Lord in this, that grants us this through the Holy Spirit when we pray. Mm -hmm. And we have this capacity inside us. We don't even need an instrument because the Lord has given us the voice to do it. And so it's different for each and every one of us. Why? The scripture says we are all members of one body. But, you know, the eye doesn't look at what, you know, the foot has and vice versa. Mm-hmm. We have our own sound. And once we tap into it, oh my goodness, um, we are at a different, we tune ourselves. Mm-hmm. We get ready for the day. And we're able to face it in a different wavelength than what the world says. That was so beautiful. And I just, I'm wondering what the frequency of gratefulness is because before you even did your note, I feel like that was the same note I was hearing when you. Oh when you, my goodness! Now here's the thing: wow. I have never done this before. I've never heard anybody suggest it before. This is brand new. This is so organic right now. So you're telling me this, and I'm thinking it, and I just get you said la. 
I was thinking, uh, that's what I was thinking. Amazing. Amazing. I I felt like, I honestly felt like I was going to start crying. Like, like, I don't know. Was it, was it because I'm ultra sensitive too? Or is it because it reached a, a part of me that just felt like really cleansing and I, and, and again, I, I can't underscore enough the fact that this is why I love watching shows where people, you know, are musically gifted and can sing because I just stand in such awe because it's not what I can do. And, and like you said, I understand I'm just a piece of the puzzle and I offer something that somebody else, you know, we're all so unique. So I, I never bemoan the fact that I can't, I celebrate the fact that I can't by enjoying the fact that someone else can if that makes sense. And the fact that we all not only have it in us, the capacity to create with sound, we all have it, no matter what the lies of the world have told us, Mm. Uh, you know, those lies, again, those don't come from God because God made us, you know, he put a new song in our heart. What does that mean? Does that mean, Lord, that I have to be a singer in order to enjoy this new song? No, it just means that you ha- that we can interact, create with sound, no matter the level. I cannot sing for beans. I, I really, <laughs> honestly, I cannot even sing happy birthday on, in pitch. Like it's so bad, Janet. I am not a singer, but when it comes to this toning technique that I do like in, in my private prayer time, I, you know what, there is no singer out there that can help me to feel the way I feel when I connect with the Lord in that sound realm. And the Lord gives me the tone for that moment. I have been able like through this, I mean, I've had some personal testimonies of just like, for instance, one time I woke up and I had a really bad infection. This was actually a few times it's happened. I had throat infection. I had um, a UTI and I didn't want to take the antibiotics. And so I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, can you give me the tone for that? And the Lord gave me the tone and Uh I just did the law thing. I just, you know, sang the law and I, but an important part of it is I focused on that area that needed healing. You know, I think that mm-hmm. that's this very important second part. It's not just the frequency, what the sound is, but it's the intent. You have to marry those two equally together. And literally yeah. both things went away. I do this with headaches. I do this with all sorts of ailments and I've been able to stave off flus and all these things, you know, it's because everything comes down to frequency, you know, it's and a frequency just because it's like kind of one of these words that, you know, we could use, but sometimes be confused. What does that mean? All it means is how fast, like when we sing, how fast you can feel your throat vibrating, you know? So the higher the sound, the faster it's vibrating, the lower, the lower it's vibrating. And that's simply it. But only the Lord could decide because like there are a gazillion speeds, right? So the Lord gives the speed and we just do it. And, you know, in in the beginning was the word, right? And I've always said that the word, he didn't wave his magic wand or wave his hands or any of that. He spoke everything into creation. Correct. There's a vibration there. 
yes. the vibration of creation, which is only him. And That's in one, and one, it's amazing thing. I think in the gospel of Matthew, if I'm not mistaken, it's only one gospel where it says that at the end of the last supper, when the last supper was finished right before Jesus left to go to the garden of Gethsemane, he sang. I mean, what did that sound like? I would love to, I mean, imagine hearing Jesus sing. Wow. That's important information. It is important information. See, this is a thing that blows my mind. So, okay. We talk about the, the world at large and all the things that have been kept from us. And we're all beginning to understand as the Lord is awakening his planet. Yes. Yes. Over the past three years. And I think we, and I've said it and I'll say it again. It's like, we've all been living in the Truman show, but I think we don't like to what degree, you know, every single thing from the food we eat to the clothes we wear to, you know, the medicine that we take and now to learn it's vibrations that we listen to. All of it is either harmful or beneficial. Well, it's true. And even food, like, okay, I'm not saying organic food. You know, This is not a, a judgment or a statement that one type of food is better than another. But one thing is for sure, the act of praying over food changes its composition. It and that's, that's been documented. Yeah. Yeah. And even singing to water, if you sing or say Jesus to water, it changes its mm-hmm. structure. It. And and so there was a famous Japanese scientist by the name of Dr. Emoto, uh, Masaru Emoto. He did amazing experiments and he would take, he would make a batch of rice. He would put one batch in a jar and put it, um, you know, on one side of the room, the other to the other side of the room, both areas in the room were the same. So they got equal amount of light and all this stuff. But one big difference to one of them, he would go and say, I hate you evil. Like, you know, just these terrible words, hate destruction (laughs) to the other one. He would go and say, love, you are beautiful. I am grateful. And do you know, within days, the one that he was speaking the hateful things to, it started to mold and get black and decay and get weird, like right away. Whereas the one that he spoke love and kindness and gratitude to, that rice kept going strong, white, didn't get molded for days upon days upon days. So Really, there's so much science out there that proves that the, you know, that our words have life or death because, you know, life and death is in the power of the tongue, the word says, Mm -hmm. and the power of our thoughts, the frequency, you know, the higher the frequency of our thoughts and emotions, you know, those are the ones of love, right? Those are getting us up there. And sounds is the same, you know, mm. there's some sounds we can hit that, you know, we are feeling, you know, different and, and our body is reacting to this. Our whole body is like one big string and 
if you can imagine that when we are listening to beautiful things and not just great music, and by great music, I'm going to um, go out and on a limb, even though I know that a lot of, I get um, bashed for saying this because, you know, I, I say classical music is the most highly organized and also intentional for Christian uh, because it, it takes its cue from the early church music. Mm-hmm. And that is why. And so when you listen to the beautiful music of Bach or Mozart or Beethoven, you know, then we are really able to elevate even bird songs, listening to nature outside, taking a walk that does so much good for our nervous system. Yeah. Right. So, so I'm glad because I'm glad you mentioned that because I did want to explore that with you that um, you talk about what music was like in King David's temple And I had had my friend, Missy Maxwell Wharton, I shared with you, and she's been on the podcast. She is a singer. She was a backup singer for Garth Brooks. She lives in Nashville, and she's now an author and leads others in writing. But she really knows her frequencies. And so she she had brought that up, too, that we know what the frequencies were in the temple. And of course, as the old journalist to me, I had to ask, well, how do we know that? Because I don't know. I mean, I'm not a singer. I'm not a musician. And she says, because we know what the harp, we know what the frequency of the harp is. We know what the frequency of those instruments was. Can you speak into that? Because I know that's part of your message too, in the heavenly tones you talk about. We've gotten away from that. We've gotten away from worship the way it should be. Right. Right. Well, um, two things about that. I mean, I think that we've gotten away from that because according to the early church music tradition, it was very powerful. And so if we imagine the time, uh, you know, from Acts onwards as the early church started, then you always had this um, music, but it was music that's passed on from one generation to another. It wasn't written down. It was an oral tradition of music making. And so when we get further on into like, you know, the um, early centuries and Gregorian chanting, and you Mm. hear that a lot Mm. and the power of this, well, you know, this was all part of, again, control and power because really when the musicians would sing with all their heart and using those historical ways from the early church, there were instantaneous miraculous healings going on. Like people would just auto, like it was a constant supernatural event, but then like, how do you follow that up? You know, like the pastors or the priests in those early days were very intimidated because, you know, the musicians were able to do all this through the power of God. And um, so there was a threat. And so there were a lot of this um, core about the power of these frequencies. And not only, I'm not, I also think it's not only the frequencies, but it's also the melodies, the harmonies those things also were, were kind of really important because one thing we know from the tabernacle of King David, that King David was first and foremost, he was um, a worshiper. 
right? And it was his skill on the harp that brought him from the pasture to the palace of King Saul. And we also have this understanding that it was the power of the anointed sound that David was given that drove away the demons from King Saul and made David so powerful at the time. So, and then we get to the days where now David is assembling the musicians and the music making for the tabernacle. Well, one thing we know is that it was extreme. It was not a haphazard thing. It was extremely organized and every singer, every sound, it was premeditated. It had to be. And it was, you know, and, and, our Lord is one of pattern. It's nothing is random. Nothing is chaotic. And music also reflects divine order and divine patterning. So David knew this through the anointing he had. And so even in the tabernacle, as long as the music was played 24 seven, there was a supernatural hedge. There was no illness. There was no strife. People just enjoyed kingdom on earth. And it was so pure and so powerful. So a lot has been lost. And so what brought me to this uh, quest to figure out a little bit more about tabernacle worship, early church music was the composer J.S. Bach. And in 2013, I was doing, I was uh, making a recording of Bach's music. And it was funny as, as I was preparing for this recording, the Holy Spirit would visit me all the time. And I had to have a notebook next to me by the piano because I would be practicing and then I'd have to stop and write down whatever the Holy Spirit was showing me. And the Holy Spirit would show me, go and research this, go find this piece of information out, go get this. And so Bach, who was born in 1680, he was probably the, uh, he wrote the greatest music ever written because of its complexity, of its perfection. Uh, People might like it. People might not like it. It has nothing to do with personal opinion. It has everything to do with the complexity, the harmony, and the absolute perfection of craft that he achieved. And that was only through the Lord. And so he wrote, everything he wrote would be perfect, like as if a we were talking about divine downloads before he got a divine download every single time he would write the letters JJ at the beginning of every piece of music, which stood for in the Latin Jesus help Jesu juvi. And then at the end he would like, write; It would be perfect. Like every note was perfect and complex Mm -hmm. and so complex. It's like if you had the greatest chess champion um, playing simultaneous, like 25 games of chess and winning every single one, that would not even qualify the genius that it took for Bach to compose on such a high level as he did. It's such anointed music that it's the only music that you can play underwater on a speaker and have whales swim in from miles upon miles. And their their connection to this frequency of God is so strong they will swim for miles and they will create a pod around this music, but they've tried mm-hmm. other music. It doesn't work. It's only for Bach. So at the end, 
of every composition, Bach wrote the words, the letters SDG, for God alone, the glory. He didn't want to take any credit for it. So as I'm preparing his music and the Lord is asking me to go and research these things, one of the things that I was researching was tuning of instruments that Bach used. And tuning was a big subject back in the day. It was very important. It's not talked about much anymore about how important it is to tune. But historically speaking, tuning was a very, very big thing. And it's known that even in the early empires of China, that you know the, the area was too big for um, certain um, dignitaries to go visit um, and to investigate and, you know, because the, the emperor would want to know, like, how are they doing in these provinces? Can you go and give me a full report? Well, it would be really hard to get a full report, but the way that they did get the full report and it was always right, they would go to the village and they would first thing ask to hear the music. What music are you playing in this village? They would listen to the tunings of these instruments and that told them everything. Because if everybody, the idea was if everyone is in tune and in the right tune, then there's harmony, there's prosperity, there's alignment. But if there was something off, if there was a new element added, then that would necessarily, that would just automatically mean there would be problems, destruction and trouble Mm -hmm. ahead. So people well, are very say something, you know, that to me is just fascinating. And I'll just admit, so I was hearing an interview the other day. Uh, I don't watch CNN, um, but I did happen to come upon an interview where a CNN reporter was interviewing Zelensky, the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, from, from Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And she asked him what he was listening to. What was his favorite music? And he said, ACDC. And I, I know I thought the same thing. I thought, well, there you have it. <laughs> like It makes so much sense. Right. Yeah. Garbage in, garbage out. Sorry. Right. A hundred percent. That's a great story. That's crazy. Yes. I totally believe that you really are a product of what you listen to and what, what you see and a lot of other things, but I, it's, it's so yes. important. It's everything. It's everything, especially, yeah. you know, guard your heart and mind. The word says, especially now, it's a fight. You know, it's a fight mm-hmm. for our children's hearts and minds oh, each and every day against what the social media is telling them and what the world is saying and the guarding of the heart and mind. You know, and if we really realize and take this power back for ourselves, mm-hmm. even in that small but big act of, you know, singing sounds in in cooperation with the Lord and the Holy spirit. Well, then we are really protecting our hearts. We are protecting our minds against the onslaught because it is a war. We are out there. We are, you know, and you know, we're the sheep, but we only hear the shepherd's voice like shepherd, right? The sheep, they only listen to the shepherd's voice. So we'll gain discernment. The more that we reconnect with our origin sound, our origin story, like, you know, as children of the most high, you know, Mm -hmm. we, I am sure that when we were like 
in our you know pre-birth state i'm sure that in our mom's wounds we were listening to the music of heaven we were communicating singing with the lord i mean that's what whales do mama you know and baby gets separated by like you know some horrible story how do they communicate um through sound they know they recognize each other through sound. We are in constant communion with the Lord through sound, but we got to activate it. And we all have a responsibility to do that. Each right. and every one of us. And it's no longer, we're not musical. We're not, um, we're tone deaf. It's garbage. How could any one of us be tone deaf when the Lord made us out of tone? Well, I mean, as I've had already admitted, I don't have any experience in it. But I know how music makes me feel. And I know how my God will communicate. You, you, you know, there's, it's a discernment issue too. You know, you ultimately, you know what the best decision is for you and your well being. You know what you should be putting in garbage yeah. in, garbage out. Right. Or how about healing in? How about beauty? How about joy? How about love? Yes. All of yes. those things that can be found through music, I think it's more important now than ever, and and that's really what my aim has been lately, as I, as I think about how we're negotiating these times, and really it's not so much I think of it as negotiation. I think of it as how do we experience abundant joy that we're called to experience it right now in anticipation of what he's doing next, and I believe that what he's doing next is going to be fantastic, and here's why. Because gone are the days that we have to believe everything that we're told. We have been through all of the suffering and the chaos, all of it over the past few years for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And that purpose is to awaken us to potential, awaken us to what we can experience, what life can look like uh, with with the shroud taken off of our from over our heads and yes. from the binding that's been placed around us. We can experience everything that God has for us. And what I love about what you just said is I always marvel. I mean, I guess it's the writer in me and, uh, and I used to teach um, high school literature. I, I really love allegory and everything. And people have sometimes laughed at me. Okay. You know, you're, you're the writer. You're going to see allegory and everything, but there is allegory and everything that God does too. So you've just mentioned the sheep and the goats. So I live on a farm. We have goats. We used to milk goats here and make cheeses and soaps and all of that. People have long asked me, what do you think God was talking about when he was talking about separating the sheep from the goats? Now, listen, I love my goats. My goats have been used over the centuries. You know, the, the goat head, the, I, you know, the connotations there, obviously notwithstanding goats are really um, lovely, fun animal. And they, they produce and on the farm, they've been certainly enjoyed by my kids um, but we have this very real picture that that Christ creates for us in scripture, separating the sheep from the goats. And I've always said, you're right. I said, sheep will only listen to the voice of their master, whereas goats will listen to anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. once they hear a human's voice, if they've been used to being fed and interacted with goats, will absolutely follow whoever has the grain, wow. right? whoever promises them whatever they're looking for, instant gratification. Years ago, we had as a prank, some high school boys decided they were going to steal our goats and place them strategically in different places around the small town nearby. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> and um, and I always wondered, well, how on earth? Like there was one that I had, Victoria. We found her down near the railroad tracks, and we we ended up getting them back. It was a little problematic, obviously, and and not just a, a bit heart wrenching. Um, oh. But I always wondered, well, how did Victoria follow these dudes in the middle of the night? Um, it was because. Yeah. They're, they're always interested. Oh, humans provide grain. So we're going to follow those humans. We're going to, it, it doesn't matter. But anyway, I've always thought of it in those terms, which I think are still accurate. But you've added a new allegorical dimension today because you're absolutely right. We not only hear his sound, the sound of his voice, there's a, there's a tuning, there's a frequency that we follow as his. Yes. That allows us to follow him. No wonder there's going to be separation yes. from those who choose to hear the voice of deception versus the voice of truth. Yes. And, and this lovely frequency yes. that frequencies, because as you mentioned too, yeah, I mean, we all have our own frequencies. He has his own frequency. Um, the angels have theirs, you know, so on and so forth in the supernatural yeah, absolutely. world. Absolutely. And I learned recently, and this is the wildest thing. So I shared with you, my daughter, Rachel is pregnant with a daughter. Um, she and her husband are expecting in June. So we've oh. been baby shopping and I'm over here looking at all the tags now <laughs> and thinking, well, you know, cause they, cause even frequencies are, are coming clothing and fibers so yes. and the Bible oh, speaks shit. of this, don't combine linen and wool. And we always thought, yeah. well, that's kind of a weird, obscure verse and it doesn't apply to me. Well, it's entirely applicable because yeah. wool has a frequency of 5,000. Linen has a frequency of 5,000. Together, they're negated. And yes. so when you wear linen or you wear wool or hemp or organic cotton, particularly, those things can be very beneficial. And just try it. Like, like since we're on the subject of frequencies and not to delve too far into the clothing realm, I decided instead of wearing like a camisole that I've always worn, you know, made of spandex or whatever, just that I thought was functional, I intentionally went out and bought an Egyptian cotton black camisole to wear under clothing one day. And I thought, I wonder if it'll make a difference. And I thought, oh my gosh, I feel so much better today. <laughs> like I was on my feet oh. all day and I just, I felt like it made a difference, people. I'm telling oh. you, it's crazy. Completely. So I'm looking forward to a day where clothing is produced differently and it's made available at a reasonable price for everyone, for all people in all walks of life. And here we are with the music element. And so just hearing that we can, from you, Margaret, we can even tune our own, we can do our own tuning inwardly every no, day. That's, that's so that's well fantastic. put, Janet. We can do our own tuning. Just to speak to your point about clothing and frequency, that's another really super important subject. Um, one of the things I, I've I've been an avid knitter for about 25 years in my life. And uh, last year I started a business uh, of knitwear and so I dye the yarn, I get the wool and everything. And it's so true. Like even the process, like, wow. like I made this, for instance, I was gonna ask. and I dyed the wool wow. for it. Like the process of making it is so interesting, like dyeing the colors and, you know, and I am always amazed at what the Lord shows, like through this process of color, which every color also, I mean, you talk about color mm -hmm. speak and I love that you bring color into this in this beautiful like you say like this 
it's storytelling that we are all colors and colors all have different frequencies and shades and meanings. This one I call electric Beethoven. I wanted to um, talk about in this piece, the, the highlighter color versus an earthy mossy swamp color and just pairing those two and what happens. That was my um, inspiration for this color combo. And I call it electric Beethoven because Beethoven is really like his music is so powerful and it's so filled with a lot of contrast. So it'll be bold and thunderous. And then it's Mm -hmm. so absolutely gentle and, and without ever being falling apart or being too delicate, it's just got a, a purity in it. And, um, you know, one day I was playing a piece of Beethoven, the Passionata Sonata, which is very, the last movement of this piece is very intense. And just the effect that we can have through um, sounds, you know, and even listening, when we listen on a deep level, we change every piece of music, every classical piece of music is a transformative experience if we allow our hearts to be open. Uh, because we begin this journey when we first start listening and the first know we are, uh, we are who we are, but at the end, it, it, it's like a great novel. We were talking about how we love classical literature um, or any novel that really resonates with a beautiful theme. And it takes you through a transformational journey. A piece of music does that. Um, Beethoven's um, Appassionata definitely does that. And so by the end, you're changed. You're transformed. You're a new person because you've gone through all these feelings and all these emotions. So I'm playing this piece and, you know, just my living room. It was, um, it was a beautiful, starry, peaceful July evening. And I'll never forget that night because Every star was out twinkling in the sky before I started playing this piece. And Beethoven was a man who loved nature. And no matter how bad the weather was, he was outside walking three hours a day. That's where he got his inspiration. He would take his notebook. He would walk through the woods. He would hear, you know, like nature sounds. He would translate that into notes. And I mean, he was inspired so much by the majesty of nature. He loved thunderstorms. He loved storms. And you could hear that in his music. Anyway, so the last movement is a very stormy last movement. And I'm about to finish it. And suddenly I hear thunder. And I was like, maybe I was just hearing that or maybe, but I was really in a zone. I remember that. And the piece finishes. And the next thing I hear rain against the window pane. I'm thinking, what? but it's like a cloudless sky outside. Uh, Janet, I looked outside my window and across the street from me, cloudless, nothing. And over my house, there was a cloud over only our house, a cloud. And it was a Beethoven cloud with like, you know, real big rain and thunder. And it made me realize, I mean, that with our hearts with um, that sound realm, like we can even have an impact on nature. I mean, I just truly feel like. Oh, I believe that. Oh, yes, for I sure. Mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah. Wow. 
That's amazing. That is so great. And I so believe that what you say is true. Because of course it is. We we have the power within us, creating in the way that we speak and through the sounds that we make. Yes, Um, that is absolutely our our birthright through Jesus Christ. Yes, and I think it's another one of those things that we haven't understood. And so, like I was calling, for example, I was on the phone with my retired pastor's wife one day and talking as I as I drove home and um, saw a rainbow just. Out, out of nowhere. I mean, there's nothing in the sky. There's just a little teeny tiny cloud-like rainbow in front of me as I'm driving home. And it's, it's with me the entire journey until I get off on my exit. And I told her, I said, you know, I gave her a perspective. I said, you know, you don't hear this in church. And she says, you really don't. And you don't hear what you've said today in church. But I think that there's a time that's coming. And I think, well, actually, I think it's here yes, where we no longer are, are content to accept Yes. The mediocre or the no. ways in which we have been, our understanding of who God is has been confined, lest it yes. be because that's not it at all. And I just feel like there's there's been this control on the part of the enemy to keep us from what is truly ours. And, and we're you. over it. And by the yes. way, I wore black today because I was thinking piano. But it's interesting oh. that you mentioned, but it's, but, in, but and, well, and because I had a lot going on and I've been house sitting and just got back, but. I just felt like I was thinking piano and, and before I came on, I thought, but I, everything about what, who I am and how I celebrate is color. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that it would be the, like one of few times I think I wear the color black, but color I, I love that you know that and that you witness that because color has a vibration too. Oh my God. <laughs> the world is color. I I have to share this story about color with you because um, it's it's so powerful. The colors we wear and the frequency that that creates. So um, you know my my testimony is that uh, you know I was born Catholic and went to you know all all the you know Catholic schools and stuff and high school and when I left. Um, high school, I just really became a, I just said, okay, I'm done, you know, and, and I left the, the church and, you know, in New York living and, you know, going to school and music, it was a very different time then it was like in the eighties and nineties. And it was just, um, it, it was very secular, very secular, the music world. And even though I always had, um, I knew God from a very young age. It's just, it wasn't the churchy God that was shown me in these Catholic settings that I was um, in. So I, I really kind of like got away. I got away pretty far and Mm -hmm. I then found myself um, married years later. And I just was like, I, I don't know. I was so empty. I, I think it was a form of spiritual bankruptcy. I just mm-hmm. was lost. And so my youngest daughter was turning three. And so she was like at that age, like the terrible twos, like she was really a rambunctious two-year-old. I and, had one of those. Oh my gosh. I thought, <laughs> oh, my first was like so angelic. And the second one was like rambunctious. <laughs> and like, I said, geez, I don't know if I'm uh, going <laughs> to like deal with this. And um, so she 
was, I don't know, like it was breakfast time. The phone rang. I turned my head for a second and she went over to the stove and she pulled down um, a pot of boiling water. And so the next thing, like, I mean, it was a nightmare. So we were rushed to the burn units um, where they dealt with all the 9-11 victims and firefighters at the um, hospital about 30 minutes away. And the prognosis was horrific, like that her skin was burned from her chin to her knees and that she had second and third degree burns that she would need enormous reconstructive surgeries plus skin grafts. Plus um, she would never be able to like move her right arm fully because of the way the burn hit under the arm. And I had all sorts of ideas that she would play violin. So I did not like, I, I couldn't even believe like this was happening. And so that night when like my husband and I were, were in the hospital room and he left the room for a bit and it was nighttime and I see my daughter and I can't even believe that life changed so fast. Like in the blink of an eye going from, you know, everything is fine, but I'm always like in my head, I was in such a dark kind of depressed place. Like I, I didn't see, I didn't feel gratitude for life. And I was removed from Christ. I, 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 I was gone. I was a goner um, spiritually at that point. But in that moment at the hospital, seeing my daughter tied up to all these like tubes and life support systems, and you know, she could have died because her body was starting to go into ketosis potentially. I, in this like mental darkness I had, I, I just called out the only name that I knew and like, trust you me, like I had experimented with all sorts of different types of religions during my foray away from church and God. And so I, I like to say that I like tasted from the smorgasbord of different um, things, but there was only one name that I cried out for in that moment of despair. And it was Jesus. And when I say like that feeling of the light coming into the darkness, it was so profound. And I, and I barely knew like how, what the next step would be. But the next thing was prayer chains started around New Jersey, praying for my daughter, Maya. And so we were supposed to stay in the hospital for three months and or at least, you know, several, several weeks. And we were out of there in less than a week. And, and after six months, there was not one scar or residue of this burn, not one on her body to the point that the pediatrician asked like, which one of your two kids is the one with the burn? I I can't even tell. So it was a supernatural miracle. So now fast forward, I'm trying to grapple with, you know, what does life look like after something like this, you Mm -hmm. know, and for myself, I was confused. I was still in a, like a transitional phase. I couldn't really understand. So I had to go play a concert in, on, on the West coast. So I got on a plane And I wasn't used to flying that time with little kids by myself. So this was like, oh, I'm getting on a plane by myself and, you know, I'm bringing my knitting. So I'm sitting 
in this like, you know, like in the middle seat and there's like two other people next to me and this um, woman was next to me. And like, I just right away, I just thought she was cramping me. I just felt like it it was like, and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to like step over her to go to the bathroom. And I'm one of those people that goes to the bathroom 50 times during a flight. And I was ready, like kind of muttering in my head as I would, you know, grumpy me at that stage in my life. And anyway, I take out my knitting, the plane takes off. It's a five hour thing. And the plane takes off and I start knitting and I was knitting. I'll never forget the color, Janet, because the color was so profound. It, um, it was like a purplish pink. It was almost like shimmery. It was like nothing else. I actually created, um, a color, for my yarn. And I named it wild orchid based on that Mm. color I was knitting with, because the next thing, the lady next to me without looking me in the eye says, uh, that is, that is a beautiful color you're knitting with. It's, um, it's a powerful color. And that intrigued me that she associated a color with a certain significance. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and she goes, well, it's, you know, it's uh, the color of royalty. It's the color of angels. And I was like, what? But it was such an intriguing thing. That moment in- led to the next five hours where she, I'm convinced this was an angel because she says mm-hmm. to me, "Not no, we've never been introduced. She goes, Ma-, at one point she goes, Margaret, I know what happened to Maya, your daughter. And I'm here to tell you. It's all going to be okay. And she proceeded to tell me things about my life, about my future, about the healing touch. She imparted to me what that is. And I'm crying for five hours. I don't even believe what's going on. Like it was so intense. My life changed after that impartation. I got to my hotel room when I landed And that night I thought I would die because all that toxicity that I had accumulated over those years of my spiritual bankruptcy were leaving my body. And it was freaky and it was scary. And I didn't think I'd survive it. But the next day I woke up and I looked outside. It was a beautiful blue sky. And I knew that this was what it feels like to be reborn in Christ. And from that point on, life was never the same. It was it was so profound. But this to say that it was the color that was the thing that initiated that conversation. I love it. I love that story. Thank you for sharing that with us. That is amazing. I'm thinking that is a book right there in and of itself. Yeah. I put, it, I put it in a book I wrote. I actually wrote a book about... Um, it's called Soli Deo Gloria, to uh-huh. God's glory, the letters that Bach would write at the end of his compositions. And it, it's a book that has a CD, like when CDs were a thing, but it, yeah. it has a digital audio component to it as well. And it really, I wanted to talk about the composer Bach from a spiritual perspective and his faith. And his um, things about the way he composed in conjunction with nature and the divine fingerprint of God in numbers and sequence and things like that. So um, I do write about that story in the book. 
That is awesome. So I'm going to have to check that out. And I, I just, I marvel at, you know, I heard, and I, and I always use this, that, that there's no, your right brain is, is that side of your brain is what experiences the miracles and the supernatural. The left brain is, is obviously not, but, and that's not what I want to get into, but I, I just think that for me in my life, all of those little God moments that are so connected, just even when you're talking, okay, let me give you an example. So I was, I took piano when I was a kid, um, gave it up, but I remember we had those little tiny busts that stood about this tall. So we would acquire them if we did, you know, I don't remember what the parameters were. We played so many or we did whatever recital or whatever, but my very first of very few busts was a little Bach bust. And I've never forgotten that. So here we are. And you think, I I know, I would think, because the rational me says, the left brain side of me says, there is no way that there's any correlation with that little statue and this moment right now. Well, wait a minute. Maybe there is, because it's all about color and Bach. And so it's all coming back because, let me tell you, color speak was not something that I even came up with. As, As a journalist and a teacher of literature, uh, wouldn't I want to come up with something like color speaks? No, God said the name of this podcast is going to be color speak. That's just his thing. This is because we're, we want to speak color. We want to be aware of color. And can you imagine living in a monotone world is what I always ponder. No color is love. That's love for us. Yeah. And then another moment I had a God moment today talking to you was I too, like you went to the smorgasbord of <laughs> I mean, I did it all too. Um, and, and so I I think sometimes, you know, we have to, God allows us to explore all of these other options. Uh, somebody said to me recently, well, I, I don't, I don't have faith. I'm much too logical. And I'm thinking, my gosh, that's the way you, why you should have faith because yes. it's the only thing that makes sense. And so then I would challenge yes. you to, like I did, I left no stone unturned yes. because by golly, I was going to search things out and I was going to get to the truth, kind of like Lee Strobel did in his yes. uh, Christ, right? I, I very much track with that. But I remember as a single mom of four children in San Diego, sitting on the floor of my room, just wailing, but being so consoled by by music, by tones. And I'm not talking about the typical things that that one would listen to on the radio at that time. I was drawn to the music of um, Enya and those kinds of things, but it was a different, uh, obviously classical. My dad listened to classical music. Uh, I was such a, a brat when I was growing up because he would always have it on classical and I would switch it. <laughs> and <laughs> I realized what a brat I was, but anyway, no. it was, it was that kind of music, but it was, it was tones is my point. Yes. But it and- resonated and it felt like I, I just felt God through it. I couldn't describe yes. what, what was happening, but I, I just knew that it was something that made me feel connected to the spiritual, to the supernatural, to an understanding that there was something bigger than me and that something loved me and protected me. That's and so- eventually I was led home and I mm-hmm. found you know, I found Christ, which was radical. That was a radical time when I thought, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, Jesus really is real. Uh, You know, that was, that was wild. And so, um, you know, I've been, I've been (sighs) just pursuing him ever since as he pursues me, but. Oh, amazing and beautiful. What, and it's, um, you know, 
it's 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 great because you know there there's some people that their life tracks you know that they have a you know like a very direct you know like they're born you know in church all their life and they don't deviate and i always am like wow that is yeah. you know so much same it's wonderful like to have that direct line but mm-hmm. then there's some of us that take the detours and stuff now you know there, I really appreciate one thing that you brought up and I, and I'm really um, also standing in faith for that because it's something that I've seen too, and that there is a shift that's happened and maybe it's this post COVID. I don't know what it is, but it's like more things are opening up. And I do believe that the Lord is revealing new things uh, and that we shouldn't put God in a box. One of the things that I experienced pre-COVID was I I was on a mission to take classical music back for kingdom purposes because I always felt that secular world, the classical music world is a very toxic world, believe it or not. I mean, what you see in operas and concert stages is beautiful and lovely, but the dark underbelly is that it's it's like any business. It's a harsh business. And, mm-hmm. and I just thought that, you know, this is such great music. And yet, why is it only played in concert halls? And why is it only for like, this assumption that you have to be educated to enjoy it, or something like that, or, you know, wealthy to enjoy it? And what about bringing it back to humanity? And using it for the Lord, because I always say, you know, music, if we, if we look at a score of box music, for instance, and see the complexity and compare it to a chord chart that is used in a lot of, um, you know, church worship music these days, like there's no comparison. I mean, there's no comparison. Mm -hmm. This is just, I'm talking about uh, complexity and design and pattern. So I, I say that, you know, like if we are the bride of Christ if, and we have this music available to us, why are we not using it for that purpose of worshiping him? Why are we, you know, relegating it to concert halls where you have to pay hundred dollars a seat and um, you look in the program and it says nothing about God in it, you know? So I was on a mission to try to bring this kind of programming back to churches as a, you know, as a extra program to have. And so the concept was the Soli Deo Gloria concerts to God alone, the glory talking about the message of faith behind the classical music, followed by a performance of these pieces. And there's just so many amazing stories in this music of the hand of God working through the lives of these composers and so many beautiful stories. But a lot of times, uh, you know, I'd get the message like, okay, you know, we can have, we can't have this in church because of X, Y, Z. And also you can never use that word vibration or frequency in church. Cause it's not. And a pastor told me this Jesus-y enough and it would turn off oh, our yeah. confidence. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. so I've been accused of being extra biblical and all sorts of stuff. New agey, probably. Yeah. New agey, which this is not, but you know, like the devil does not create only That's takes, what I was say. right? Yeah. Takes, he's the counterfeit. This is all God. Right. right. Yeah. 
Well, and I love I love this topic, and I know we're going to have to wrap up. And I, I promised you earlier we talked about it. Now I'm going to make my promise. We need to have you back. We need to hear more because this is we're only touching the tip of the iceberg. But you know the conundrum is this. So I've been in I've been in a variety of different churches. Um, we've explored different denominations in this house for various reasons, backgrounds coming together, what the kids wanted, large family, all of that. We've been in churches where they absolutely held to an old style of worship, but it was problematic for the average person to try to follow along or even hit the high notes. And so therefore it was a real turnoff. So the problem is coming into how do you how do you educate the masses to to be able to participate? I think that's largely why some of the contemporary music has worked because the masses can participate in that and it feels more comfortable and less limiting for those who don't know. Um, but I also think it's interesting that you have people on both sides, like on one side saying, if ever a contemporary note is hit in this church, I'm out of here. Or, you know, those like you've mentioned, no vibrations, or I just, I think, I think we need to come together and, and try to figure something out that's available for everyone. I mean, I, I love contemporary worship music. I absolutely do. But that doesn't mean that concurrently I can't enjoy what you're talking about, which is so beneficial that, you know, would, yeah. And I think maybe it's just a matter of educating people. It's not just about adhering to the old ways because of divine order worship. Correct. It is. It's, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's, there's forms of music, right. That there's different types of uh, worship music. There's celebratory, there's the contemplative and things. I just think that it would be nice if there was space made for, for all sorts. And I also Mm -hmm. have been jumping through, you know, like, leapfrogging from a lot of different churches and also the same story. Like, you know, there's this type here and then there's that type there. And I just think that just like we, you know, have so many layers of expression in the musical arts that, you know, there can be, I think a way where every, every type or genre could be included and not segregated to like, you know, only this kind of church or only that, like, I don't see why not. It it can't all come together and there can be some blending of genres going on, maybe not at the same time in the same song, but like, you know, a program where you have, okay, now bring on a a more, you know, old fashioned hymn and now contemporary. And now, you know, we'll, we'll go into something a little different, maybe from another culture or something like, I don't know, but there's so many, like, there's so many colors. There's so much. Music. Well, and as you're talking, I'm I'm envisioning it. So, so we had uh, we we have a prayer room here in Kansas City, and music plays 24 seven. Well, what if you had an opportunity for churches to do that, and churches set aside, okay, well, this is our our prayer hour, or this is our healing hour, and during this time, we're going to play healing music. And I loved what you said, contemplative. Let's have let's have some contemplation. Let's have some supplication. Let's do all of the things and attach it to music and provide it to people. And I think people would come as long as they were educated properly. They understood ahead of time. This is what it's about. I think, I think everybody would be on board mostly. 
there is nobody. We all have this understanding, the sensitivity. I think we are programmed for for truth and beauty. We know what it is, and there's no education needed. If you see a beautiful flower, you know that's a beautiful flower. You don't have to know where it comes from or the origin or anything like that. And so I agree that just having the availability of it and and it's it's all about connecting. You know, if we could connect with the story or the message, like we are people as humans, we love story. So if we could hear stories like, okay, I've never heard this piece of music before, but tell me a story about it. Let me connect to it. And that way I'll, I'll be able to then already my heart is open to it. It's such a nice idea. I think mm. rather than, okay, we're going to listen to this concerto in E minor right now. It, it, like it doesn't. Right. You have to share about it. And I love what you've done that to draw me in today. And I just always, I I think about this. It's a football analogy with me. For many years, I was not into football. I I really just wasn't. It didn't interest me. I knew people that played, you know, my, my husband watched it. One or two of our children did, but it didn't, it wasn't as exciting until my husband sat us down and started giving us the backstory on all of the various players and the history of the leagues. And then all of a sudden it became tangible and, and personable and rather, and, oh, okay. Um, our kicker in Kansas city, he's a man of faith, you know, oh, I'm, I'm interested in that. I want to hear more about that. Um, those kinds of things that drew me in, but yeah, it's just, it's about, it's about education. It's about just letting people know once people know, well, gosh, if they, you know, like, anything in life, red dye 40 or whatever it is, not a good thing to give your kids, take it out. Okay. Well, now that I know that I'm not going to buy those red cookies because they're not going to be helpful. So yeah, it's good. It's good. Good stuff. It is. It is for sure. Education. And yeah, yeah, just knowing the more we know, the more we're, like you say, attuned, the better off our, you know, we'll be in the long run, better choices we'll make for ourselves too. I love it. Well, I want to have you back, Margaret, because I want you to tell me next time about the seven sacred tones. And maybe we'll even have you do a little playing. But I, I want to encourage people and I want you to go ahead and mention and I'll have it in the show notes too. But where they can listen to you because I've seen some of your YouTube videos. And they're fantastic. And I've listened to you play and, and you're just brilliant. And so I I would love to have you share that information with people, how they can find you. And I know that you even offer a golden tone workshop. Yes. That's amazing. (laughs) Tell us about it. Uh, So uh, my YouTube channel is Margaret Wasik. And on that channel, I have performances. I, I used to do a live stream during the COVID time. I was doing every Sunday, a live stream combining, um, a message, biblical word with music and talking a lot about the composers. So that was my uh, foray in the live stream department of bringing the world of Christian together with the classical. And yeah, and with the Golden Tone course, that is a course for pianists that I offer, especially since a lot of pianists suffer with tendonitis and issues with technique, I made into a course, the 
the key things that helped me when I had to really like re learn everything from scratch. And mm. so, yeah, and it, it, it's really helped a lot of, um, a lot of pianists around the world to rehabilitate their technique. And soon I am starting this spring, uh, intimate concerts, uh, with the word of God, uh, as you know, music again for prayer, healing and contemplation. Mm-hmm. And so I'm starting that in New Jersey, uh, very soon. If there's anybody, um, who's local, um, in your community and would like to come, you know, they're, they're free to, you know, contact me. I'll give them details, but I have all my instruments tuned to um, these special frequencies. And so there's a lot of healing benefits uh, in the live thing. You know, I think that's one thing um, that's sort of been lost as well, especially with mm-hmm. the you know pandemic and everything is like the beauty of getting together and, you know, experiencing these things in a live format. So, so is yeah. that something you would ever do online as well for those that are interested that can't get to New Jersey? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, my ultimate goal is to bring it to different venues and, Mm -hmm. you know, small venues, um, churches or any, you know, any place where there is a hunger and a thirst for connecting with these kind of ancient healing modalities and the classical arts as a way to increase our wellness and to open our hearts to receive the message of the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. Well, Godspeed. And I I just, I wish you, I bless you in the name of Jesus that this oh, will grow you. because this is what people need. Absolutely. I just, well, if you ever come to Kansas City, let me know. Or if I ever hear of any way to have you here, I'll let you know. (laughs) Thanks, Janet. Appreciated. So nice to um, be here. The time flew. We were laughing about it. (laughs) That I said. No, I was saying, I know we could talk the rest of the day and, but let's try to get it out early. And now I'm looking at the clock thinking, oh my gosh, you have to be somewhere here soon. So. Thank you for being oh, with me. Fun. Thank you so much, Dan. This has been a total joy. It's oh, it's incredible. been a joy for me. And me thank you, you for the testimony of your daughter and her miraculous healing. Um, yeah, we didn't even touch on that, but I'm assuming that there was some music involved in because in your world, that's what it is. I mean, your prayer and your supplication, right mm-hmm. to the Lord, but all of it and how it developed in the prayer chain and. What a testimony. What a beautiful Thank testimony. So much. Yeah. God is so great. You know, we, yeah. um, it, it's, it's amazing. You know, it's just amazing that we can, we can witness and bear witness to just the glory. It's, it's incredible. Thank we you. We can expect a miracle. I always say we can yeah. expect a miracle every yes. day, every single day. Every day. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, I do want to have you back. And so until next time, I bid you a fond farewell. And the rest of you, thank you so much for listening to us today. I hope that what we said today will help you and maybe even change your world because you're entitled to that birthright where you live in a place of holiness and expectation in the Lord, which includes wellness and all of it. So thank you again for joining us and have a very good day. Until next time. Bye.